All right, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? Good? Better than we deserve? Okay. Please open in your Bibles. A, I, what book? I was going to say, what book are we in? <laughs> Exodus chapter 35. Exodus chapter 35. You know, I love, I love that last song we were singing. Holy, holy, holy. I want to see you. How wonderful is that? Don't, when you close your eyes, don't you think about that? Lord, we are going to praise you for all of eternity. So um, tonight, you know, I, as I'm reading through this here, and I got my biblical outline here. Pardon me for turning my back to you a little bit. If you still got your outlines and you've been following along in Exodus, you know that at this point, we're going into the construction of the, the tabernacle, chapters 35 through 40. Now, tonight we'll get through chapter 35, but possibly next Wednesday, I believe we'll get through probably 36 through 40. Because it's honestly what we have already gone through in chapters 25 through 31. You know, the tabernacle, other than there's interesting details that were given about the placement and how those are laid out and different things like table showbread, the, you know, different things like that. So some of you are laughing. I see your faces. Yeah, right, pastor. You're going to get through. All right. So we may go one additional Wednesday, but, but other than that, we're getting ready to close the book of uh, Exodus. And I'll tell you what, hasn't it been a journey, a deliverance for many of us, a, a setting free for many of us. And then we'll continue on and, and make our way into the book of Leviticus. We'll go right, we'll just keep on going right on. We'll make our way through. Now, what's interesting is this, as we kind of open here in chapter 35 of Exodus together, if you're just joining us tonight or you've been coming with us, you know, Moses and the people, the 2.5 million, 2.3 million Israelites, if you will, the, the group of Israel that were, the church, if I can say it that way of Israel, they're still on Mount Sinai. They're still in that place. And interestingly, for the entire book of Leviticus, they're still going to be and Mount Sinai. They haven't come into the promised land yet. And by the way, for the half of the book of Numbers, guess where they're going to be? Mount Sinai. And they're still not going into the promised land quite yet. Well, as we begin, and what's so interesting about this chapter is, I think the folks have been ready, you know, if you think about Israel, they've heard that it's time to build a tabernacle. They had been given a godly pattern from God directly. If you remember Moses, when he was up on the mountain there with God, when he was being given the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, God was pouring out, showing him all the pattern of what had to be built, this tent, this tabernacle, where God said he was going to dwell as among his people. Now, 3,500 years later, right? We're about 3,500 years later from this time. Where does God dwell now? In us, in our hearts. But I would suggest to you tonight, he dwells here. But do you know why he dwells here? Because you're here. Because his word's being read and his presence is welcomed through his Holy Spirit. Because it's his word and it never returns void. And that's what the Bible teaches. So as we get ready to bow our heads and pray and then we're going to go line by line, I want you to just think about all that's getting ready to be, I mean, done. I mean, how many of you guys have been part of a construction project? Probably more than half of this church will raise their hand because you've been with us this is our second time, right, moving. You've been with us. If you've been with us for the last four years, you know this is our second construction project. And when we got in this building, we all had our, you know, drills or tools or whatever we had. We came in here, ripped down walls. You know, none of this was here. But before we did that, we did something really important. We prayed. We rested and waited on the Lord. And that's exactly what we're going to learn tonight. That many times, 
I think if we're all being real, when God gives us a command, or even if we know we have a busy work week coming up, right, and we know we have a lot to do, what do we want to do? We want to grab the tools, we want to grab the tool belt and get right out after it. But God says, you know, before you do that, I want you to rest. And that rest meant being in relationship with him. You see, because before we do anything, any work, anything we can do that's work-based for, for God, he doesn't want that without relationship. That's what he's after. He's after the heart. He's always been after the heart. That's what he desires. So we're going to bow our heads. We're going we're to look at the pattern of what God does here when he's going to build this tabernacle. And what I love about it is he uses inadequate humans, like you and I, if we're being real. I love that. He doesn't, he doesn't turn around. Couldn't he just take his finger and go, boom, tabernacle? Couldn't he take his finger and go, boom, gold? But he even uses a community of believers to do it through their giving, through their love offerings, which he all, by the way, says is a free love offering, he tells us. We're going to also learn about the biblical principles of giving. Now, I have to ask you, how many of you have been to multiple churches through your 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years of life? Many of us would raise hands. How many times have we gone through, and again, in Calvary Chapel, you know, when we go through it in the Bible, that's when it comes up and we talk about it. Otherwise, we don't bring up money. We don't, we don't talk about things like that unless it's in the Bible. We, we have no business talking about things unless God's brought them forward. So tonight, we're also going to look at the biblical principles of giving. And what I love about this is it's got nothing to do with any type of manipulation. You know what I'm talking about? The days we're living where we begin to see men stand up in front of churches and prod people into thinking that if they don't give a certain amount or they don't do something a certain way, that somehow God isn't pleased with them. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And we're going to go through and we're going to look at what God teaches tonight about giving, about what he teaches about working and doing his work, what he says about preparing our hearts to do the work by resting first in relationship with him. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we come before you. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you that you've given us a pattern, Lord. Thank you that Moses didn't have to come up with a, a plan on his own, Lord. Thank you that you didn't tell, tell your under-shepherds to come up with their own plan, but God, you... You taught each and every one of us just to fall in under your word, under your leading. You're our master, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you guide us and lead us. Thank you that wherever you guide us, you equip us for the work to be done. Thank you that you're so gentle, Lord. You're, you're meek and mild. And God, you've called us to be just like you, Lord, to learn to be more like you and less like us. Well, Lord, that, that's, you've told us that's what the very word disciple means, a follower of, of you, Jesus. And God, we want that. Lord, I want that. Lord, every day of my life, I want to look more like you. I want to let go more of myself. I want to let go more of this world. And I want to take up your kingdom and your cross. And Lord, I know I'm not alone here. I know him with a gathering of like-minded believers, Lord. We're all in, Jesus. We love you. Do your work in us tonight, Lord. Let your spirit lead us. We pray all this in your name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people pray. Amen. Amen.
Exodus chapter 35, verse 1. Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, these are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Notice it was God's command. It wasn't Moses's. It wasn't Aaron's. It wasn't another man. It was God's command. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Shabbat, a rest to the Lord. Notice that he didn't say it's a rest to just lay around and do nothing. Couch potato. He didn't say that. There's a purpose to the rest. And that's the draw closer to Jesus. There's a purpose to the Shabbat. To enter his presence. To slow down. To receive from him. Otherwise, how do we know what God has for us? I don't know about you. If I don't slow down daily, how, how do I know where God's leading me? I can get off. And I, I could think I'm going in the right, but I'm off. His word, it, it calibrates my mind. It, it draws me to, to him. Whoever does any work in it shall be put to death. What does God show you here? God shows you he's not playing around. That it begins with relationship. And it's important to God that we come into that rest and that relationship before we begin to work. Because he's already, if you go back and you look, he had already told them earlier on. They knew when they had taken the original offering for, for God. Remember where uh, that was back before um, chapter 31. And then we saw in chapter 32, do you remember where Aaron came with the offering that God, God's offering, and Aaron took it, he grabbed, he says, grab. He doesn't even use the word receive like it. He grabbed, turn in your Bibles, look, it's, it's, it's very important. It says, break off. That's what he tells him. He says, break off in verse two there. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings, which are the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters. That doesn't seem gentle, does it? That doesn't seem like a free will offering, does it? That, in the Hebrew, that, the idea there, that's aggressive. That's not gentle, meek, or mild. That's man. Do you see the difference when man does it? It's aggressive. It's not meek and mild. It's worked up. That's not how God does it. He, he says, look, you need to rest. You need to come into me. I'll do the work. Did you ever think about that? Who says he's going to finish the work in each and every one of us as believers in Christ? Jesus. He didn't tell us, hey, when I start the work, when you guys finally catch up, you know, and you're sanctified like that, then you could take over. He, he doesn't want us to strive. He's never called us to strive. He says he who is faithful, he begins the work and he's the one that finishes the work. And he finishes it in each and every one of us. It's his work in us. It's his imputed righteousness in us. That's why he can say it's not works-based. That's why it's never been works-based salvation. Sanctification, sure, it's the fruit of your, you know, of the inward transformation that God's done. There's an outward, you might say, as a fruit inspector, you can begin to see things have changed. You're doing certain things. You're, you're living for Christ. You're, you're not going to the places you used to go. You, there's a transformation inside. But that's not salvinic. Salvation was based on faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
It's based on relationship. And that's why he, he said it so, I, I don't know how else to say it. It's serious, but isn't it simple obedience? Rest, relationship. It's, it's just a matter of simple obedience. Will we obey or not? Right? And then he says, you shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Shabbat. Now, granted, we're not under the law today. We understand that. We're not under the ceremonial practices today. We, we understand that in the Bible. But do you think God has ever changed his heart about rest and relationship? Do you think that God doesn't want us to spend time with him? Spurgeon said it very well. Before you ever spend time with the face of another man, you need to spend time with the face of God. And the more you walk with God, the longer you've been alive, the longer you've been a Christian, the more you begin to understand that. That without pressing into God, no matter how busy your day is, if I asked everyone here to raise their hands, how busy your day is, everybody would have their hands up and go, it's, it's crazy. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. We barely make it to, to Wednesday night's Bible study. It's, it's just nonstop. The, the, the technology's going off. The email's coming in. You know, whether you work in a hospital, whether you work at a, a fact, wherever you are, it's nonstop. But God says, wait a minute. If you're going to have a day like that, wake up an extra hour early and press into me. That's what he says. He says, he says you spend time with me. And by spending that extra hour, it everything else seems to just fall into place. Have you ever noticed that? It shouldn't work out that way because if man's calculations, it would be, I have one less hour of the day to be doing the work that I, I need to get done. But God is faithful. When he sets our mind on him in right relationship, everything else just makes sense and we're able to take on more, we're able to do more and we do it with the right heart and the right mind. Thank you, Jesus. And now as we begin to move in here to verse 4, where we're going to see the idea, the offering for the tabernacle and the, the building of the tabernacle, I think, again, I want to point out, before they did a single ounce of work, before they lifted a hammer, before they picked up anything, the very first thing they did is drew in, draw, let me say it a different way, they, they were pressed into Christ. I'm glad God's not grammatically challenged, I am. <laughs> They pressed into Christ that way. Think about that in your life. How God gave us a pattern for this. This isn't something that was just good 3,500 years ago. More's caught than taught. It's for us tonight. For all of us sitting here. You didn't just come in here tonight and just wander. This is for all of us tonight. If you're here tonight and you're going, what's this have to do with me? God's telling you. Draw into me, son. Draw into me, daughter. Rest. I have a work for you. But first, I want to build you up. I want to encourage you. I want to give you what you need. I want to equip you for the work I've called you to. Verse 4, And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is a thing which the Lord commanded, saying, we're going to see that same saying, the Lord commanded, saying, over 19 times as we continue in chapter 35 and 36, we're going to see it a lot. And there's a lot of repetition to this. The Lord has commanded you, saying, the Lord has commanded you, saying, God is making it perfectly clear this is not Moses the man, but this is God's design. And this is what it's supposed to look like. Praise Jesus, right? Praise Jesus we don't have to 
figure it out. We don't have to, you know, reinvent the wheel. There's nothing new under the sun, as the Bible says. We're in Acts 2.42 church that way, aren't we? We do all things according to the scriptures. I love that. God says it. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded you saying, take. Now, circle that, please. If, you, if you've got a pen, circle that in your Bibles. If you need a pen, there's pen and paper in the back there. But, but compare that again with back in, remember we talked about in chapter 32, I had you look back there in verse 2. Look at the difference. Break, man-driven by Aaron, compared to God. Take. Do you see the difference? You see the difference even in the, I understand you may not know the Hebrew, but, but looking at it even in the English, you can see the difference. It's gentle. Take. From, you, from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever, this is very important, is of a willing heart. Let him bring an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. Now, it's important to remember, this is God's command. This isn't Moses. Moses isn't putting together a fundraiser. Moses isn't getting one of them thermometers right up there going, come on, we can reach the, you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You've, you've seen that. Nobody's asking you to buy a block, you know. Nobody's just so everybody, you know, we're talking about giving tonight. Nobody fret. There's not going to be a plate passed or anything here tonight. There's not, we're not going to take and say, oh, you got to go to the agape box in the back there. No, we're going to look at the biblical principles of giving because this is how we ought to live our life because the question I, I hope all of you are asking tonight is, how does this apply to us in the New Testament under the New Covenant? Well, I, I'm glad you asked. I happen to make some notes on that. I'm glad, I'm glad you asked that. You know, is, is giving, is it a biblical principle? Well, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Keep one finger here and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'd like to see the Lord's heart on this. I'd like to see Jesus' heart as he, he takes us through this. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. If you're taking notes. And I've entitled this sort of three biblical principles of Christ-like giving. Three biblical principles of Christ-like giving. And the first question is giving biblical. Well, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do, underline that please, a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that you may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your Father who's in secret will himself reward openly. What is Christ telling us here? I'm sure we've read this. We've, we've gone through the Bible, you know, the book of Matthew and this fellowship together. We've gone through the book of Mark. We've been through, through the gospels together. We've covered this. But, but what is God saying in gentleness? What is, he, what is he teaching us here? First of all, note with me, it says that he said to his disciples, he was talking to believers. He wasn't talking to, to non-believers or unbelievers. He was primarily talking to believers at this time, right? And it says, when you give, Notice with me, not if you give. It, it was never a conditional statement. It's when you give, right? So 
clearly Christ is telling us it's his words. Christian giving is expected, but, but he tells us something here, and it has to do with the motive of the heart. This is very important. He says, I've heard some say, or some have said, and you, maybe you've heard it too, well, giving is an Old Testament concept of a tithe, and you have to give 10%, or you have to do this. And, and in the New Testament, there's no such thing. We don't have any giving. We, do, we, don't, we don't do that. Well, <laughs> we need to study the Bible. What does the Bible say about that? You know, what does God say about that? They, you know, I think it's, it's clearly just from reading Jesus' teaching here that all followers are expected to be givers, but I think more importantly, what he was also teaching, it wasn't a matter of giving or not giving. I think he understood all believers were to give, and I think most of us get that. The question became, why? Are we doing it to be noticed? Now, in those times, going back to the first century, often what would happen is you had very well-to-do Israelites. You had those that were also scribes of the law, very well-paid, very well um, had a lot of money. I don't know how else to say it. I don't have a technical term for it. They were affluent. Thank you. Very affluent. And what they would do is they would go in and unlike where we have an agape box in the back that whatever you put in, you can't hear. And there's a design to that. They would drop pence or they would drop money or large sums, but they would do it in a way that was kind of like, you know, they'd spend five minutes there. Bump, bump. What were they trying to do? Draw attention to themselves. Hey, look who the big wig is. You know, hey, look what I do. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. He says, I, I know everybody who gives. You know, his design is a cheerful giver. He says, that, that's not what it's about. He says, I don't even want you not letting the left hand know what the right hand's doing. I don't want you even becoming prideful. Because ultimately giving, as if we've always read and we read in scriptures when we get the first Corinthians 16, it's our form of worship. Giving is worship. No different than when we, we have our, our, our lead worshipers come up and we stand and we lift our voice to the Lord. What are we doing? We're worshiping. We're praising God. It is no different than when we give in the agave books. We don't praise God and then turn around and go, Huh? Do you hear my voice? I know you don't do that with me, but with some of those that can sing up here, you don't turn around and go, hi, look at the, listen to my voice, huh? That's a good voice, right? You see the way I play that guitar behind my neck? You know, we, you would, we laugh. But isn't that what they were doing? By drawing attention to themselves? You see, Jesus Christ was teaching us something very important, and that giving has to be with the correct motive of heart. We don't do it to be seen by others. Because if we do, that's our reward. He says, no, your reward is in heaven, which doesn't, you know, rust. It doesn't, moth can't get to it. It's eternal. And it doesn't need to be seen by anyone. Some of you are new to Calvary. Do you know, I, I know you've been in other churches or denominations where, you know, they record who gives what and all that, and then they publish it. That goes right against the scripture. Don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. You ever think about that? Because what are you doing? You're drawing attention to a group of people or a believer. And God says, no, that's their reward. You just stole their reward. I take this serious. 
So serious that even as the pastor of this church, and, and you know, you can talk to Bill's treasurer, Nancy, who does the books and all the, the giving, I don't see who gives what in this church. And that's predominantly because of the book of James where it says, don't be a respecter of persons. I don't want to ever know who gives what here. I love you all unconditionally, agape love, as Christ has called me to, not because of what you can give or can't give, but because of who you are in Christ, because he's knit you to me, and I'm to be your under-shepherd that way. I'm to shepherd you. That, that doesn't mean I look on you and say, well, you got more wool than somebody else. No, that's called fleecing sheep. We don't fleece sheep here. We don't fleece sheep. I don't know who gives what, and I like it that way. And, and I'll tell you right now, if, if there's any question about that, and I, I want to be open with you all. If there's ever a question about where your monies are going or what's going, I encourage you, make an appointment and come sit down with Bill. Make an appointment and come sit with Nancy. She's more than happy to show you or what we do. There is no secrets. We have open books. We don't, there is nothing to ever hide. Because we know it's the Lord's. Just like we read here in, in Exodus chapter 35, it was the Lord that commanded it. Not man. It's not man's money. It's God's. And we have a responsibility to handle it like it's God's. And that's why you put all these checks and balances in place to make sure that who's the pods and all that, everything. Well, Turn also to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Giving is an act of worship. I mentioned that a little bit ago, but I, I want you to see it here in the, in the Bible because it doesn't matter what I say. It's what God has to say. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul's going to be speaking to the church in Corinth. He's going to be making his way back to Galatia. And what's going to happen is he's going to come and he's actually going to tell them, when you take your offering, you know, don't take one for me. You know, in other words, as he's coming through, he's going to provide for his own provision at that point. He was a missionary and he was sort of traveling through, if you can understand that. And he was saying, I'm good. There's a biblical lesson in that, not taking when we don't need it. See, that's biblical too. And we're going to see that in chapters 36 and 35, that Moses actually has to come to the people and say, we're good. Stop your giving. Have you ever heard that? I can see by some of your faces, the answer is very clear on that. Well, we're going to do everything biblical. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, that's you, believers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. As I have given the orders to the church of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, right? That there be no collection when I come. So we also see that in the early church, giving, again, Christ had commanded it, everyone was to be a giver, but he's also saying that giving is to be part of our normal worship. It's part of the normal service. We don't pass a plate here. We don't do that because I don't want to draw attention to that. Not that I don't encourage us all to give. We're all to give, but I don't want to draw attention to that because I don't want in any way enable our left hand to know what our right hand is doing. We place an agape box in the back. We trust the Lord to move on the heart because where God guides, he's going to provide. And that's not my job and that's not the elder's job to figure that out. God leads. We follow. Amen? I'm just trying to give you the biblical principles of why we do what we do because I want you to see it in scripture. So, 
The other thing that we look at is Paul here is teaching that the church in Corinth, that as they're taking up this collection, that this act of worship, it's to be part of the regular Lord's Day. That they did it. This was an ongoing thing. It was, you know, every Shabbat, which happened to be for them, Sunday, the Christian church was the first day of the week was Sunday for them. And they would meet and that's when they would take their collection. They would put it in the agape boxes, we would say. When we put our money in that agape box, what are we doing? We're, we're worshiping the almighty God according to his word. And please note here, he said it was for the saints. So this giving is, is by the church, right? To the church, for the church. I'm a big believer that when those that have needs, and I, I run it through the grid of scripture, we should help to meet some of those needs. We have a food train. When there's people that go in for surgery or people that have a need, we put things together like that so we can come and feed people, right? You all partake in that. You all are part of it. You've done it for your brothers and sisters here for years. It's not something new. We also have times where somebody might call the church because they're having a, a rough season. They've been with us for a while and we, we've judiciously gone through and looked at the budget and said, okay, this isn't because of misappropriation of funds in the home or, or something careless like that, but, but they can't pay the electric bill or they're having a problem. We'll call and take care of it. We, we just do that as the Lord leads. We can't do that forever. We can't do that all the time. But as the God leads, that's what we want to do. We come along and we meet the needs one to another. And it's not just the church that does it, but I know all of you do that. I, I know there's, well, I know I'm not going to, I don't want to tell anybody's reward. I know there's times where, you know, you've come alongside a brother or sister that has a need and you're there to help them. Whether it's maybe helping them with a car or helping them get transportation or, or whatever they need, you're helping them meet those needs one to another. That's Christ-like giving. That's an example of it. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And it's for the kingdom of God. The biblical principle. For the kingdom of God. Not that any man gets wealthy from it. Not that any man buys a jet and says, I need another jet. Because he doesn't want to, you know, fly and coach. You know what I'm talking about. If you, you read the paper, I mean, can you believe the days we're living where pastors are making millions of dollars? This is God's money. It's to be used to help the people. It's to be used to build the sanctuary. It's to be used to meet the, to meet the needs and the requirements of, of all that we need. The light bill, the, the, the building that we can come in, the food when it's available. It's, it's for that. It's, it's not to make a man wealthy. I have a real problem with that, in case you can't tell. <laughs> but because I want us to be biblical on it, right? Number three, Jesus is our example. Wait a minute, Pastor. You're telling me Jesus is an example of what Christ-like giving looks like? Yes. Turning your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's look at verses 9 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 9 through 15. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That you, that's you and me, 
that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage, not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you almost must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness and a desire, so there must also be a completion out of what you have. For if there is a first willing mind, it is accepted according to the one who has, and not according to what he does not have. So God is telling us that Christ-like giving isn't a matter of putting ourselves into poverty to do that. But it's the first fruits. It's, it's of what we have, not of what we don't have. Do you know any people, and it, it grieves my heart, when I see these televangelists, and, I, and I, I'm sorry, I'm, I, I know some of you see this. If not, I want to protect you from this. Where they tell you to send in, you know, $1,000, $100, because if you don't do it, God can't do work in that ministry. Show me that in the Bible where man is to do that. Isn't it God who commands it? As we saw with Moses, we don't see that it's, it's to be something that's lathered up. That's manipulation. That's manipulation. Giving is to be worship, and it's free will giving, not something that we're forced to do. As a matter of fact, when we get back to chapter 35 with Moses in Exodus, he's going to actually show us that even though he gave this command to the people, he sent them home so that they couldn't turn around and make another one feel guilty about who was doing what. But he said, the next day when you come, give as you feel according to the, your heart. You should never feel pressured to ever give. That's not a biblical commandment. That's, that's nothing we find in scripture that way. For I do not mean that others should be eased and, by your, or, and you burdened, but an equality. That now it's time that the abundance may supply their lack, that the abundance also may supply your lack. That there may be equality. As it's written, he who had gathered much had nothing left over. And he who had gathered little had no lack. In other words, whatever God had provided, they were faithful to do God's work with what they had. Not more, not less, but exactly what God had given them. So, when I look at this, I can't help but thinking about, you know, God demonstrating through our Lord Jesus Christ that his physical presence on earth here, God gives some more and some less. I think we get that. There are those that are more financially uh, affluent and those that are less affluent, right? Certainly not because of the lack of hard work. God shows favor on whom he chose favor. There's, there's different reasons. We don't know all the reasons. But we clearly know God gives some more, some less, but it's, it's not about the amount or the percentage. If you're asking that question, hey, do I have to give 10%? You're asking the wrong question. That's, that's the wrong thing. It's the willingness to give back a portion to God for his work freely, not out of obligation. Just as we saw Jesus Christ said that he came as rich, and he came to be poor for us, right? That's the measure. That's the measuring stick, Christ. It's not a tithe. That's the measuring stick, Christ. 2 Corinthians 9, as I was saying, 6 and 7, and he says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he 
purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is the final passage. I'll speak on this, and then we need to move on for our time tonight. But the final, this final passage speaks of the intention and freedom of our worship in our giving. It's a privilege to give our monies, our time, and our heart to the Lord. Paul says in verse 8 there, as I just read in 2 Corinthians 9, For you know the, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for his, your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might, or you might, become rich. What is Christ showing us here? It's through Christ's self-giving that's now the standard for our giving. He, we're to be disciples. We're to grow after Christ that way. We're, we're, to, we're to become more like him. You don't, we don't begin with a base of a tithe. That's, that's not our aim. Instead, our aim is selfless giving. His self-sacrifice. Our giving is, is inspired, if I can say it that way, instruct, instructed by Christ's inexpressible gift. That's what it really looks like. And that has no motive other than to be more Christ-like. It's not because you're trying to be a people pleaser. It's not because you're trying to draw attention to yourself. It's not to make yourself feel high and mighty. Although I will be honest, I know the feeling when you worship and you give your God. I know it feels good because you know you're doing the Lord's work. Praise the Lord. But we're not to take, it's for God's glory. We're not to touch his glory, amen? We're not to touch the glory of God. Again, the percentage is the wrong question. I'll conclude with, Paul says in verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. You know, you think about this is a truly amazing statement in fact, right? Paul's giving us direct revelation from Jesus Christ that the Lord takes special delight in those who joyfully, energetically, and are merry givers. That, that's what he says. He's giving us that revelation. And the best way that I, as I was thinking about, okay, Lord, how would you have me re represent this character to your believers, to, to your to your flock. How, how can I represent your heart in this, Lord, and what you're showing me here? And he likened it to a parent for me. This is how he showed me. I pray that he would give you your own application. But as parents, those that are parents here, or you have, you know, nieces, nephews, you know, grandparents for that matter. Do you remember the time, the first time you gave your son or daughter a Bible? Maybe they were eight, seven, when they began to read it. And, and if if you were anything, or my kids were anything like your kids, I would, I would have to come in and say, did you read your Bible today? No, Dad, I, I didn't read my Bible. Would you mind reading your Bible? Yeah, yeah, Dad, I'll, I'll read the Bible. It's funny, just spend about 20 minutes. It's really important to wash your mind. Okay, Daddy. The next day, did you read your Bible? A constant prodding, right? And we want to do that because they're young and, you know, they, 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 whether they forget or, or what the reason is, I can't explain it. I, I don't, I'm not a judge. I can't read their minds. I don't know why. I just know in my home, it was, a, it was a, you know, it was this constant, okay, are you reading your Bible? And I worked my way down the line. Are you reading your Bible? Are you, re are you reading your brother the Bible? Are you reading the Bible? Are we reading the Bible to you, right? All this, am I reading the Bible, right? All of us. Check, 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 check. Am I washing my wife's? you know, mind in the word of God as a husband, as a pastor in my home that I'm required to do? Am I doing that? Because that's what it is to be a biblical man, to wash your wife's mind with the word of God. Okay, check, 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 check. Then one day, man, I don't know, you guys might relate to this. Awesome. I walk by and one of my sons, 
He's in his bedroom. His Bible's open. He's got his notebook out. He's got his pen. His head is pressed down. I can see him covering. He's praying. He's diligently reading. He's turning. And what do you think I did? I gave him his privacy, right? I sat there and I was a proud papa. I thanked Jesus. I got on my knees. I was around the corner so he couldn't see me. And I just started praising God. I said, Lord, now that's real relationship. There was no prodding required. It was something that he did and it became his own. You know what I'm talking about because it happened in your life. There was a time when whoever was discipling you stopped asking you, did you read your Bible today? But turned to you and said, I'm really struggling. And they went, oh, did you look in 2 Samuel? And you were like, I've been reading my word. And there's nothing greater than when you might be going through something at your job or your work or your family and your son sits down, faith like a child, and he turns and looks at you in the eyes and says, Dad, do you remember when David, that his life examples now come from the very pages of the word of God? It's not, well, in the video game or in the storybook, But God, I know this is trustworthy. And this is where I get my truth. I know this happened. And dad, it looks like right now, you need encouragement. David had that same problem. Dad, did you read Psalm such and such? The first time that happens, I'll tell you what, you want to be excited, but you're like, oh, that's deep, man. Right? You're just racked. Like, that's deep. You get that tear in your eye. I I cried, man. I was like, thank you, Lord Jesus. Yes, I receive it. You know, I was like, praise God. I love it. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. It's a gift. Some of you guys have little ones yet. You have it. Give it time. Heck, they could even be 33 and you watch what the Lord can do. He's just beginning. There's no age limit. I love that about our Lord. So, turn back to Exodus Chapter 35, I guess that's the best way I can explain how God looks at it when we're cheerful givers. He doesn't have to prod us. He doesn't have to do it. It's just something he rejoices because he realizes that it's a commandment for us to give. And we're simply doing it out of obedience and because we want to. Because we want to worship. Not because a man's manipulating you. Not because a program's manipulating you. Not because somebody needs another jet but because where God has called you to serve, where you have made, or God, should I say, has made your church home, that's where you're to give. One of the places, obviously, is, you know, Judea and the end of parts of the world, God says, because where you're giving, you're not just giving, obviously, to the staff and the church, but who are you really caring and giving for? Your church. It's the body of Christ. You're encouraging and meeting the needs one to another. You're investing in where you're being invested in. It's spiritual. And that's why God has commanded it that way. And I always thought it was so amazing that God, I mean, like we were talking about here in, in Exodus chapter, couldn't he have just gone tabernacle? Couldn't he have just gone gold? But how does God do the work? 
When does the God ever do, when does our Lord Jesus Christ or God anywhere in scripture do the work through an object? When, does he, when do you ever see him take a gold bullion or a, a pence and go, pence, do something? We don't see that. I know you all are going, well, the president, you know, assistant vice president. But no, you, you don't see that, right? He does it through the man. He does it through the woman because he gets great pleasure in watching his children just as parents. We get great pleasure in watching our children grow in Christ. No manipulation. It's beautiful. So let's turn back and look here where he says again in verse 5. I'll, I'll pick back up there even though we kind of talked about it. He doesn't say grab. He doesn't say aggressive. He says take from among you an offering and bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. God commands it, not Moses. No fundraiser there that way. He's saying that giving should be spiritual, should be led by God, and it's for all of us. And then he begins to talk about the material needs. Because you are building a tabernacle, and you do need these things. So God begins to give him a detailed list of the things that they're going to need that we read about in, if you remember, chapters 25 through 31 you know, the goat hair and everything, because a tent, he's building a tent, essentially, with a tabernacle, and it's got to be covered with the goat's hair, right? And the, the covering. Otherwise, if you don't have a covering on it, what is it? I don't know, a pergola? I don't, I don't know what it'd be. But it's not a tabernacle, and it's not a tent, right? It's got to have a cover on it. So he's telling them the material needs. And, and, and I think that's important. Is there anything wrong with a pastor? Is there anything wrong with me standing up? And I, I haven't done this because I haven't been led by the Lord to do this, and I'll only do it if I'm led by the Lord. But is there anything wrong with a pastor standing up saying, hey, the Lord's showing us this. We need to do such and such, because God's showing us, and if the Lord puts it on your heart to give for this, then we'd encourage you to do that. Notice he's not manipulating you. He's not guilting you. He's not saying, do it right now so that other people can see. But he's saying, hey, look, this is what the Lord's showing me. It's for the flock. If this is where, if the Lord puts it on your heart to go do it, go do it. Great. No manipulation in it. Is there anything wrong doing that? Absolutely not scripturally. Isn't that what God just did through Moses? Am I doing that today? No. The Lord hasn't shown me anything like that. Other than being obedient givers as you do, as the God, Lord leads you to the agape, you do that. I don't have any direction from the Lord for anything as a special project. You, many of you knew when we were building the church here, you knew you were praying and it was amazing what God did. We didn't have to turn around and, and even write a detailed list necessarily to say, hey, we need lights or hey, we need this. God raised up men and women, families, as the Lord led to do that. We didn't have to try to you know, manipulate. We, didn't, we just said, Lord, you're, you clearly are bringing us to a bigger building where we have more room. God, I don't know how we're going to do this. I, I often wonder as I'm reading this, you know, being an under-shepherd, Moses being an under-shepherd, I'm going, Moses, I know I was like, Lord, you know, strengthen my faith. How's this going to happen, Lord? We're increasing our rent, three, three X, you know. Moses, you got 2.5 million people here. Lord, you have to provide. Lord, how are you going to provide? I wonder, you know, he brought them out of Egypt, you know, He's bringing them to the promised land. They're going through the wilderness. I have to imagine Moses is going, God, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, so when I sometimes say, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I know I'm in good company, right? I know I'm in good company. But I, I love how he does this. He says, look, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, 
ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood. It's all to build the tabernacle, right? And why were they building the tabernacle? That God would dwell among them. Why do we have a sanctuary? That we could come in and be ministered to by the Lord. Because God dwells in us and we minister one to another. Oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Another thing the Lord just sort of brought to my mind. Do you see that this is God's normal way for supporting the work? I just thought about that. He didn't do it any other way. There's no program. There's nothing like that. This was God's normal way. Gifts given by his people that were willing. God does the work through his people. All who are gifted artisans among you, those that are spirit-filled, right, shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. In other words, it's not done haphazardly. But there's order. Why is that important for churches? Because when God is giving, they shouldn't just turn around and spend, spend, spend. There should be a plan. There should be God laying out, you know, someone looking at how much do we need to accomplish the work? Right? What does it cost to build a sanctuary? What do, how much do we need for this? How much do we need to keep paying the rent and, and then pay the lights and all the other, you know, how much do we need for the giving for meeting the needs of the body? How much, you know, how do we, It shouldn't be haphazard. So he says, look, even the gifted artisans, he says, we're going to take account even of the help and the labor that way. Everybody that can work. He says, it's not haphazard. It's all spirit filled. He says, the tabernacle, it's tent, it's covering, it's clasp, it's boards, it's bars, it's pillars, and it's sockets. The ark and its poles with a mercy seat and the veil of the covering. The table, its poles, its utensils, the showbread. Also, the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for the light. The incense, the altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, and the screen for the door of the entrance of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offerings with its bronze grating, its poles and its utensils and lavers and its base. Again, we've covered these in detail. If you weren't with us, go back and listen to the teaching in um, Exodus chapter, really around chapter 25 through 31. We went into detail in what each one of these utensils are used for and how they're also a typology pointing to Christ. You can get that on the website or a CD if you need in the back or you know, on your smartphone, however you do that. The hanging of the court, its pillars, their sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court, their cords, the garment of ministry for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments of Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his son to minister as a priest. As as I read this, I can't help but thinking, oh my, this was no small undertaking. Has Moses ever done this before? Has Moses ever built a tabernacle? He's keeping detailed records of what's going on and how to do this. And he's keeping detailed records of what God's commanding. Now you know why God was like, hey, rest and draw into me first before you try to take this in your strength. Because you'll blow it. But rest and sit at my feet and I'll gift you. And it'll be the work of my Holy Spirit. And then we'll glorify him. So... He turns around and 
We're going to move into verse 20, and I love this part of the passage. Again, this goes to biblical giving, what we see here. Notice there's no contest. He doesn't say, all right, you know, who's going to give more here? You know, Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin. All right, you got it. Okay, do I hear 20? Do I hear 30? Do I hear 20? Do I? We don't see any of that. We don't see any of the tribes turning around and saying, okay, tribe of Judah, come on, you can do better than that. You're Judah. I mean, Jesus Christ is going to come through your line. Come on, you're the tribe of Judah. Represent, right? Now, we don't see any of that, right? No. He said, in all the congregation of the children of Israel, underline that for me. They departed. They left. He did what God had commanded him. He told them what the need was. He told them that it was to be a free will offering. And then he said, go. He didn't manipulate him. He didn't try to draw him into some type of persuasive giving argument, some type of fundraiser, some type of lathering it up through the Holy Spirit. Nothing he trusted God to do the work because that's what he was commanded. So they departed from the presence of Moses. He says, you go away and decide what the Lord's showing you to do. That's what you do. If you ever feel like you are persuaded, it is not of the Lord. If you ever feel like you are forced, it is not of the Lord. We don't see that biblical principle or pattern in anywhere, the new, to- new Covenant or the Old Covenant. It was to be, as Christ had said in verse 5, and God has said, whoever is of a willing heart, then everyone, in verse 21 there, came whose heart was, see that? What was it? Stirred. As it was led by the Holy Spirit, it was led by God the Father. As it was led, as they were stirred, and everyone whose spirit, spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering. Whose offering was it again? The Lord's. Over 19 times, chapter 35 and 36, God is making it very clear through repetition, it is not an offering of man. It is not something where somebody comes in and says, we're going to take a second offering for this man. No. It's the Lord's offering. It's the Lord's offering. For the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, what's that mean? For everything that's going to happen there. Just like everything that happens here, all the work of the ministry. That's what it's for. It's for service, right? It's needed. And for holy garments. Praise God I get to wear jeans, right? We don't need holy garments today. Right? The tabernacle is in our hearts that way because Jesus lives in our hearts. Come as you are. Come as you are. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. And what did they do? They brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold. That is, every man who had made an offering of gold to the Lord. They gave what they could. There was no forcing. Nobody felt like they had to give more than they could. They gave exactly what the Lord showed them, and they were, they were at peace about it. Right? And every man with whom, notice he keeps telling us that. He's saying it's the Lord offering. He keeps saying everyone, every man. Verse 24, everyone. Verse 25, all the women. Verse 26, all the women. Verse 27, the rulers. 
He's telling us that all in, there was unity in this. It was God's leading, and everybody understood that because they were being obedient to the free will offering that God was saying, this is what it looks like. You're to come along the church where you're plugged into, and the service and everything that goes on there, it's, I'm using you. God uses you to do the work. He doesn't just go, although he could. Because again, he ministers through people, not through objects. So, They tell us, and every man with whom, verse 23, with whom was found blue, purple, scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair. What they had, right? Red skins, rams, and badgers. Skins brought them. They brought what they could. Again, not everyone gave the same amount, nor was there, you know, a push to do that. Everyone, verse 24, who had offered an offering of silver and bronze brought, whose is it again? The Lord's offering. And everyone... Again, everyone, 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 with whom was found acacia wood for the work of the service brought it. Do you see that also God did there? It's not everybody brought the same thing because not every, you know, God knew what was needed. There was different materials needed. And if everybody had brought gold earrings, what would have happened? They wouldn't have had the, the goat's hair. Can you imagine the guy that's carrying the goat's hair up there, Lo? You know, he's like, I got my goat's hair. Right? He's just laying it down. He's like, yeah, goat's hair rocks. I don't know if that's worth anything, but that man was happy. He was doing it unto the Lord. It was his goat's hair, and now it was God's goat's hair, right? Yay, goat's hair. All the women, verse 25 here, right, were gifted artisans. I love this. Men and women. It wasn't just the men that were giving that were going to be working, but the women, they were giving how they could. So while the men were inside ministering in the tabernacle, the women were doing what they could do. They were artisans. They could sew. They could do different things. Everybody was pitching in. It was everybody was honoring the call God had given them. I love that. So it says that uh, all the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. Everyone was a part of it. And all the women, again, we see verse 26, all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought. So, hey, rulers, guys, elders, listen. Under shepherds, pastor. Hey, we're to be givers. It's, it's not the flock that just, all of us are to be cheerful givers. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod in the breastplate. Spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. God keeps repeating it. He wants us to know, one, it was not by obligation, but by free will. And two, he wanted, yes, it was commanded, but he was also saying, but those who are willing to obey. He says, offering to the Lord. All the men and the women whose hearts were willing to bring material for the all kinds of work which the Lord had by the hand of Moses, he commanded to be done. And Moses said to the children of Israel, see the Lord has called the name of Bezil, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, and the tribe of Judah, and he has been filled with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. Isn't that awesome? Whom God calls, he equips. Write that in your Bible in the margin. If he's calling you to something, if he's calling you to a field, a, a career, and you're sitting there going, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to do that. 
You know, he, he's calling you to a new job. Maybe he's calling you to a trade, an electric, you know, electrician, plumber. I don't know anything about that. How am I going to do that? Maybe he's calling to marketing. Maybe he's calling you to be a doctor. Who knows what he's calling? Whatever he's calling you, where he's going to guide, he's going to provide, and where he's going to show you and give you that election and calling, he's going to equip you. He's going to give you what you need. He's going to give you the, the capacity mentally, and he's going to give you the heart to stick through it. I love that. He doesn't set us up for failure. I love that about our God. He's so gentle. It's beautiful. It's a supernatural flowing of the Spirit. Just as like, you know, we, read, we can read that. We don't have time tonight, but you can read it in Psalm 25, verse 9. You know what? We need to make time. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, the humble he guides in justice and the humble he teaches his way. Where he guides, he equips. He's going to equip you. He's going to give you what you need. He's going to do that. He says in wisdom, back to chapter 35 there, verse 31, he says, in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design the artistic work, to work in gold and silver, right? Bronze that way. We all need the spirit, don't we? We all need the Holy Spirit to do whatever we're doing. Whatever God's called you to, you need the Holy Spirit to complete the work. We can do nothing good of ourselves. We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to do it. Whatever you're doing, It's not, just, it's not just for Moses. It's not just for these artisans here. 3,500 years later, it's for all of us. We all need this. He says in cutting jewels, goes on further to tell you all the giftings that he's given them, for setting in carvings wood and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him, Aholiab, the son of Asimach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with the skills to do all manner of work, the, of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, scarlet thread and fine linen and those, and of the weaver, excuse me, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. And Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put his wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all the Lord has commanded. Still on Mount Sinai, still building, but they're doing it God's way. Now, at this point, God's talked about what the, what the offering is to be. It's a free will offering. The people are to bring it. They were going. Now we're going to actually see, we'll, we're going to close with verse seven here tonight just for time, but we're going to see that they're actually going to go through with the actual beginning of bringing that offering they just gathered and now using it for the application of building the tabernacle in verses um, really one through uh, seven there. 
So he says, and Bazil and Oliab and every gifted arson whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do the work that all the time the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bazeliel and Oliab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord has put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come to do the work. That word there for stirred can also mean lifted, that he lifted the hearts. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning, not just one day. So God had called for the free will offering. And what are the people doing? Every day they had brought so much, God had moved on these people and it was not forced in any way that every day they have so much to do this work that every day people are bringing from, from the pile that was gathered that God had provided, every morning they're bringing more to Moses and the artisans to take the gold and to take all these, you know, fabrics and everything to make the tabernacle. Every morning this is happening, not just one day. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing, and they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. What's he saying there? Stop. Whoa. Yeah. Stop. There comes a point. You know, when, and I know there's some denominations out there that they don't understand this principle, but God's teaching on this is that, look, I understand the board meets they put together uh, a, a, an amount of money that, okay, if whatever should happen with the giving or if you know, there was a recession, we have a few months um, of money in the bank that we could pay our, our rent, our mortgage. Okay, that's a good steward. That makes sense. But if above and beyond that, if you're not taking that and giving it back to the flock that needs it and or stopping and saying, stop. Prosper. Use it, you know, in your house, in your family. Fix something in the home. You know, something that may be falling apart. Repaired, you know. You know, work on your Jerusalem at home. I pray that I'll be faithful that when we have that situation, when we, if we, if the Lord should ever bless us that way, that we get to the point where we're like, okay, we've got a few months worth of rent or we've got what we need for there, that I would come in and say, hey, guys, Stop. Or, you know, cut back. However you want to say it. You know what I mean? So we can still pay the light bill, but at the same time, you know, look at other places. There's other ministries. There's other people that have needs. Let's try to meet those. That's a biblical principle. I have never in my life heard that yet, other than in Calvary Chapel. That is the only movement, only place in my entire life where I've actually heard someone stand up and say, you know what? The Jerusalem... God has built our Jerusalem. We are good. It's time to put our work on supporting missionaries in Central America, in this area, in this area, in, in, in Africa, helping our military, helping our soldiers that are wounded, helping our soldiers with PTSD that need career and help getting on their feet. Only in Calvary Chapel have I seen that. And I pray to God we follow after that biblical principle. I mean, we're young yet. I know you know, the Lord's going to take time. It's going to take time to do those things. But I pray when we get to that point, we say stop. 
So Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing this. I love this. The people actually were like, what do you mean? That's our worship. We want to keep worshiping. And, and he's got to say, wait a minute. I mean, what a right heart. I rejoice over this. As a pastor, I pray, God, I look, to, I look forward to someday when I can look out and go, hey, guys, friends, stop. I love that. For the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. No manipulation. Simply a willing heart. We're called to be givers but biblical givers, not through manipulation. We're called to meet the needs. As Christ has called us to this fellowship as he's called us to do the work here. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord God, thank you so much for all that we've been learning in the book of Exodus here, Lord. You're our deliverer. Just as you delivered Israel from Egypt, Lord, you're delivering us. You've delivered us, Lord. You've given us freedom. Just as you've given freedom to, Lord, these Israelites, we, we, we too understand that, that we have freedom in giving in our worship, Lord. We thank you that you've allowed us to be partakers in that. You didn't have to do that, God. But I'm so grateful you work through each and every one of us. I'm so grateful that you get great joy just as a parent, Lord, watching your children make the right choices for the right reason. Thank you for having a, an unconditional love for us, Lord. Thank you for calling us to unconditional love for one another. Lord, I pray over the, the giving that you've given here, Lord, each and every week. I know we don't always do that. God, forgive me. Maybe I should do that more, Jesus because it's your offering. But I pray over it now, and we all thank you, Jesus, for what you've given us here. You've given us a safe place to come and to open your word. You've given us uh, comfortable air conditioning, Lord, or heat for some folks. Lord, you've given us chairs that are comfortable. You're blessing us with a, a picnic here that we're gonna have baptism. God, you're so good. And all of this reflects your glory. We all do it for your glory, Lord. May we never touch your glory, God. May you continuously be praised. May your name be proclaimed in all of Harrisburg, West, East Shore, and this whole area, God. May they know you, Lord Jesus. And may we be known as worshipers of God. We pray this in all your name, Jesus Christ. Give us travel mercies home. Amen. God bless you all. I love you all. Uh, if you guys want any of the notes, especially because we went through a bunch of passages, we'll make that available. The teaching will be up on the website. Again, I encourage everybody to come out Sunday at 2 p.m., obviously at 9.30 for our normal service time, but at 2 p.m. we'll be meeting at Lower Allen Park. There's little, on the table outside and at the desk, there's little uh, flyers about the directions. Uh, we'll be providing the food. As I, or should I say, 
Jesus provided the food, as we just talked about and learned about. Everything will be provided. If you want to bring a distant past, as the Lord should lead, you can, but you don't need to. Uh, come out. I think we have about 12 or 13 folks getting baptized. So I'm praying that that number, you know, as we get there, because there's going to be a baseball game going across the way. I love that it's a public proclamation. That's what he's called us to do. I'm praying that maybe some of the baseball players will come over and want to get baptized too. Amen? Amen. All right. God bless you all. See ya. Dunk them in the creek. Yeah. <laughs>